In a new age world filled with delusions and wish fulfillment by morons in need of attention, renowned experiencers of high strangeness and podcasters Jeffrey Ritzman and Jeremy Vaney received invitations to a tropical paradise getaway called Paratopia. Little did they know, it was the same type of new age spiritual retreat they've been avoiding all their lives. Don't be shy. You can record people in stone. That is high strangeness. Come on, you can shake it. Yeah. If I were an undead monster trapped on Earth, I could get stoned too. Anything goes with Paratopia. <laughs> and welcome. You're listening to Paratopia on UPRN 105.3 New Orleans. New Orleans. New Orleans. Or not. We have no proof of that. Ah, Paratopia. We tried to do this episode last week, but I screwed things up. The audio got screwed up. We weren't sure if we could even fill an hour, but we did. So now that the magic is, can we even remember the questions that filled an hour? We're going to try. Our guest is the one, the only Rob Beck, who you know as Rob Father over at Erie Radio. Just so happens he's a geologist. Something uh, like that. Right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay, yeah. good. Excellent. My educational background's in geology. I've worked as a geologist, and my current work's in a field that's pretty well related. Okay. And um, and you're the, the third host on Erie? Third, fourth, somewhere in there, yeah. Okay. <laughs> we've, got the, we've got the big ones like uh, DK and Fizz, and then we've got uh, Oleon, who's currently on hiatus, and then yours truly. So, so, a couple, so, of, couple other band of uh, unmentionables. Let's pretend that, that last week's conversation never happened. And, uh, Pass this. <laughs> in fact, never play that again. Yeah. And, um, well, so it'll be rehashed for us. Uh, tell us... Um, <laughs> How you got into this, and about the uh, the uh, ghostly happenings of your past that I don't know anything about because last week never happened. Because you've never heard it before, right? Yes, this is like a bad episode of Star Trek. <laughs> okay, you well, say that like there's a good one, but go ahead. <laughs> oh, there's a few. Um, I mean, didn't you see the action adventure Star Trek? Now we have the we have the new younger hipper. Yes. Everybody's 20 on the bridge, Star Trek. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Okay, anyway. Uh, how I got into the paranormal. Well, I didn't exactly choose to get into it. It's like a lot of people, as, as I'm, the more I'm exposed to it, you know, I ask people that very question, how'd you get into this? You know, what, what interested you in it? Most people say the same thing. They had an experience or, or multiple experiences when they were a kid, uh, which actually led me on a whole different tangent. I actually started looking into why children, why, why do kids always seem to, to see more than adults do. So that's an entirely different uh, line of thinking. But uh, well, it was just a kind of odd experience for me. I, I lived in what could probably euphemistically be called the haunted house when I was a kid. And uh, strange things happened there. And what strange things? <laughs> uh, uh, let's see. Tell us a story. Uh, probably Rob. the strangest thing. Well, I'll give you the basics, which is what I gave you, what I gave you and did not give you before. The older house built. Post World War II, 1950s or late 40s, early 50s. Um, had a finished basement, and I was maybe 
maybe 10. And I uh, was very excited because one of the rooms that finished in the basement had been turned into a bedroom. And my folks gave me that room. And I was, you know, I had a little baby brother. So my thinking was as far away from him as I could be was, was great. You know, I, I loved, you know, having that, uh, you know, have this nice big room to myself, put out all my toys and everything and have fun. And uh, so it wasn't people like, well, you know, it's kind of a basement thing when you'd be creeped out by a basement. I wasn't creeped out by a basement. I thought it was like an underground fort. So, I mean, I was nine, for Christ's sakes. Uh, so, then uh, started getting bad nightmares down there. And then uh, whenever I'd be um, just, you know, playing with my toys, whatever, doing whatever, uh, I would always feel like something was watching me from the area of the furnace room. And uh, just always kind of got that creepy feeling. Then started waking up in the middle of the night and felt with me so much so that I would run up the stairs. And slammed the door behind me because I always felt like something was following me right up the stairs. And then spend the rest of the evening sleeping on the couch in the living room because I just couldn't take being in there. And then got to the point where there's actual physical manifestation of activity in you know in the basement. The uh, things started well. The ironing board started moving on its own. So uh, that kind of convinced me uh, not to want to stay downstairs as much after that. Uh, but uh, that was probably the, the first, I mean, there's, I, there's undoubtedly little things from before that, but that's my most memorable earliest experience. Hmm. What, when the ironing board moved, what was it folded up? Was it in position? Well, it was up against, well, you usually kept it up against a wall, you know. And, and another thing, my my uh, cousin had lived there in that house before I did, and her, you know, my aunt and uncle, and she claimed, just as a side note, but she had said she heard voices down in the basement when she'd be down there folding laundry when she lived there. Even my voice, and I wasn't anywhere near that house, so that was a good one. Um, but what happened when uh, with the ironing board was, I, I got woke up in the middle of the night. I hear something just banging up, up against a wall. I don't know what's going on. So I turn my light on, nothing in my room. Uh, go out in the hallway, looks down to the laundry room, and, and I see the ironing board opening and closing on its own, you know, kind of just hanging in the air. I mean, it was banging up against the wall, opening, closing, banging up against the wall. And I ran my little butt upstairs and didn't go back down for a couple of days. So. Hmm. And so from there, you became a geologist. <laughs> Actually, a, uh, a geologist uh, uh, I met when I was 10 was the reason I became a geologist. But uh, he, he made the field sound pretty cool. So, and he was a pretty cool guy himself. So, well, wait, how did you uh, end up on uh, you? You ended up on Erie because you guys are friends, right? Yeah, old friends actually. Known, known DK Ben for about eleven years now. Known Seth for a few years less than that. Um, so, we've we had discussions in this area before. I kind of found we're all interested in it. And um, at the time they started Erie, I was involved in other issues just with family and didn't have the time to be involved with it. And then uh, kind of just came back and about a, a year and a half later, about a little under a year ago, uh, I had the time to, to devote to it a little bit. And it was certainly an interesting project. And I kind of talked with DK about it. And next thing I know, I'm, I'm on the show. Mm-hmm. Here All we are. right. And so certainly in your travels and in your interviews, you must have uh, stumbled upon well, in the ghost world, uh, is it limestone that's in the neighborhood of uh, ghostly activity? 
And then, and then everyone in Ghost Hunters goes, oh, right, limestone. That's why there's No, that's what I'm hearing. I don't know why limestone got picked to be the mystery stone. Well, what are the properties of limestone that uh, would, for instance, record uh, dead people? <laughs> I I don't really have much of an idea. Um, but you're a geologist, I, I, Rob. <laughs> yeah, we, the, actually, I, I guess I fell asleep during that, that sedimentology and stratigraphy <laughs> class. Uh, when we talked about the undead channeling through through uh, limestone, but I can tell you the basics of limestone. I, I hear that, and I'm I'm actually surprised it isn't stones that have more quartz in them, like granite or, or certain kind of sandstones. Uh, you know that that would be because quartz is uh, what we what we talked about and didn't talk about before. Uh, quartz is is you know more in line with what you would think of as an energy transmitter, possible information storage device, because we use quartz crystals for for information transfer now and storage to some degree we've we've certainly played with it so i'm kind of surprised that doesn't usually get the duty as the the paranormal mineral Mm -hmm. uh so certainly used in new agey stores you can't go into a new age store without selling different kinds of quartz yeah uh but you know you don't go into a new age store and see much limestone do you um well do you think it goes back to egypt that they use limestone i don't know a lot of places use limestone uh it wasn't just the pyramids and there's but I mean, if you want your esoteric connection to why limestone over quartz, well, in the rock, paper, scissors of age, I think the pyramids <laughs> limestone just easy. Limestone is just easier to work. If you And there's it's going to take a little bit to get through this, but um, there's a lot of reasons why limestone is kind of an oddball choice. Uh, and if, if somebody could nail down for me, I'd actually like to hear why they think limestone is such a paranormal rock, but it's still variable. It's a chemical sedimentary rock as opposed to a, a you know, a terrigenous. It's not made from grains of anything else. It's it, it, the material that makes limestone is precipitated out of the water, out of seawater, and forms a calcium mud. And then that calcite mud, your calcium mud forms into calcium carbonate. And uh, the calcium carbonate crystals get compressed. You get limestone. Uh, but and they can be real fine grain crystals. They can be big coarse crystals. The fine grain crystals are the ones that we use for most building stone, like especially in the Midwest here. Mm-hmm. Pretty much everything in the Midwest is built with Indiana-Salem limestone or faced with it. There's very few uh, new structures that are built freestanding masonry structures. Most are just veneered with stone. Um, I know down, like downtown Indianapolis, there's one. There's an old cathedral that's made of uh, masonry freestanding limestone. Mm-hmm. Everything else is just veneer. and it's So it's easy to work, and it, the weather's really good. And that's probably why it really well. It's used proper English. And that's undoubtedly why you see it in a lot of ancient buildings, because it was easy to cut and shape and move. The coarse grain stuff is really not good for much more than gravel. You have to bust, because it fractures so easily. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, the, you, hit a, you hit a cleavage plane in the quartz, or in the, in the crystal, and it, it fractures along that plane, and it doesn't cut the way you want it. It cuts the way that the, the crystal plane wants it to cut. So that's... And and you really that's that's incredibly variable what you find in the ground. You know you're not you can't look at one state and go everything in this state's fine grain. There's a mix of it in Indiana even. Where well, that's I'm what at. I was going to ask is when they say oh limestone in the area. Well, how rare is limestone in the area? Well, limestone is pretty common. Uh, I'd also say there's um, again depends on what part of the country you're in. The area it formed in has to have been a warm shallow sea or uplifted from that like a mountain range. Uh, it was one of the things I was going to mention also is limestone it can be chemically different. It's not always calcium carbonate. Sometimes iron or, or other minerals can substitute for the calcium ion in carbonate, in the, in the calcium carbonate molecule. The calcium will pop out and get replaced by a, 
a heavier uh, ferrous uh, paramagnesium mineral. And in that case, you're dealing with a, a stone that's got a little bit of juice to it. You know, it's got a little bit of iron to it. So, you know, may, and there have been studies actually done, and I did look this up a little bit uh, to, to kind of get some ideas on it, but they're very uncommon studies, uh, you know, the electromagnetic properties of, of dola stones, which are stones that have ferromagnesium replacement of, of calcium. So there, there may be something to its ability to, to mess with electromagnetic energy, but that's only a certain kind of limestone. Not very, it's not everywhere. It's not very common. Uh, as far as the commonality of limestone, well, you can find it in the Midwest pretty easily. Um, find in some mountain ranges here and there. It uh, just depends. A lot of times the, the big problem is and when, when they're like, well, it, you know, I hear the paranormal geologist theory that, uh, you know, it's limestone is imprinting uh, information or it's transferring information from some paranormal entity. I'm like, well, what about in the cases where it's several hundred feet underground, like pretty much in all the Midwest, uh, with the exception of some of the southern areas where the glaciers didn't cover, uh, you got to cut maybe 100 feet, 200 feet of, of sediment. On top of that, maybe more. I mean, how, how far is this electromagnetic energy supposed to penetrate to get to the stone? That this stone can still be effective as some kind of paranormal conduit that deep down. I mean, if you're trying to put a scientific edge on this, you can't just pick one variable, run with it, and say, that's going to be our explanation. That's going to tell us everything we need to know. Right. Uh, okay, so you said quartz, of course, um, has some... Portable properties, what, but we don't really use it that much, right? So, I mean, do no. we know what the boundaries are? Do we know what it can't do? What it can't do? No. Yeah. I, well, I mean, that's I don't know that we know what anything can't do from a scientific perspective. I mean, you can say things aren't as conductive. Uh, you can establish basic physical properties, but uh, uh, it's well, I can say it's not harder than diamond. There's other <laughs> there's other stones that are harder than quartz. Uh, um, it fractures really easily. It doesn't have quartz. Um, if you find quartz rock, it doesn't have a a crystalline structure per se. It doesn't grow the same way that, that other minerals grow crystals. There are certain kinds of, of minerals like quartz, which is silicon dioxide, that uh, grow like glass because, well, that's what glass is, silicon dioxide. And if you uh, fracture quartz, you get conchoidal fracture, just like you get a, a shatter pattern on, on glass. You get the same kind of pattern on quartz. So it's kind of odd that in that respect. Hmm. Is there any combination of things that you can see? Like I, I'm thinking about. Um, uh, let's see. Ooh, 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 what? Go, go ahead. Go ahead. I just Jeff. had a Mr. Cotter flashback. <laughs> well, what, about, what about? I mean, even with limestone and quartz and granite, what would be a an like added a element? Would be like a, a an underground spring or running water? Oh, there uh, it what, is. What kind of? Uh, <laughs> what kind of additional interesting thing would that do or not do? Because that's that's one of the things I remember from years yeah, ago was the, the uh, crop circles were in areas where there was heavy limestone and underground water. And, uh, um, well, and that, that, that meant something to them, I mean, obviously. But uh, I'm curious if there's anything added to that. Well, I, I dare say there's a significant percentage of the population in this country and others that still thinks you can go anywhere in the world and drill and you're looking for an underground river to, to sink your well in. And underground rivers are actually a very uncommon feature and they're only associated with one kind of topography that's, that actually is limestone associated. 
But in most places, water just moves through pore spaces and whatever materials beneath your feet. And it mostly, the, the stuff that most drinking water wells comes up comes in sand and gravel aquifers. Uh, so it's, it's moving very slowly through these massive Brita filters that, that, that sit underneath us um, more than it's moving through these little conduits. That, and there's even some well drillers to this day who will tell you, I got into water vein when I'm drilling for a well because they don't even know their own. Um, you know, they, they inherited the rig from their dad. They don't know what they're looking for. As far as underground rivers, they're pretty well confined to certain parts of the country or certain parts of the world that have something called karst topography. And karst topography is uh, limestone that is uh, generally pretty weak stone that it's either interbedded with a lot of shales or it's it's uh, very coarse crystalline and fractured really badly because uh, then water gets into it. And cold water has, by nature, carbonic acid. Uh, you know, CO2 mixes with water, you dissolves in water, you get a little carbonic acid. Uh, that's the alleged uh, death blow to the um, coral reef, this increased acidity in the oceanic water, whatever. Well, anyway, in colder water, you get a little carbonic acid, and that slowly, very, very slowly, eats away at the limestone because uh, it is calcium carbonate. It's a base. The acid you know, reacts with it and wears it away. And you get bigger and bigger fractures, and eventually you get river systems underground. Okay. okay. And again, these are only in very specific places. Like in Indiana, there's an area called the Mitchell Plain that's in the south-central part of the state. That's the only place there's karst topography of any significance that still functions. Uh, there's a relic that's buried, but it doesn't function. Uh, Kentucky's full of it. Uh, the American Southwest, you know, Carlsbad, Lechigia Caverns, those are, those are karst features. Uh, areas like that. Other than that, no underground rivers. And what about in those in those particular areas? What is paranormal activity like in those particular areas? I mean, you know, you're you're into no. the ghost thing a lot more than I am. So, is there you know is there a, a, a map that can be looked at to say you know there seems to be more study like that? Yeah, but, uh, I don't know of any more ghost stories out of South Central Indiana than I know of any you know of any of the rest of the state. There's there's ghost stories everywhere. And Kentucky, well, that's just paranormally odd anyway. <laughs> I can say yeah. that because family's from there originally. <laughs> uh, now, it, is there anything with the running water and the stone that could generate EMF that would then kind of, you know, to sensitive people would, would kind of tick them off? See, there, like there, there might be, that, that may be, and you remember pseudoscience is always touched off by a hint of regular science. Uh-huh. And there might actually be something to that. Uh, just that we wouldn't know how to apply it or how it affected people. Well, I mean, you're running significant amounts of water through rock conduits, um, especially if if the you know, I mean, everything can just about every rock in the world can have magnetite in it because magnetite gets in everything. It seems like and magnetite is just a fair, you know, it's just a an, another iron derivative. It's Fe three O four, so you can have a, you know old old lodestone. What are you going to call it? mixed in uh, anywhere you can have uh, like I said you can have some some com- uh, conversion over to dola stone so you can have some ferromagnesian materials in the limestone and I suppose a charge could get built up somewhere you know odd as that sounds I don't think anybody's ever like I said I think there's a couple of studies that are working to try to figure out if there's anything to that but I right. haven't seen anything where anybody's actually said yeah there is other mm-hmm. than what we've heard as a speculation from the paranormal crowd now, now, you guys in Indiana, um, back when you had the uh, the Kokomo boom and all of that, 
Um, I think I told you before that just about every video that got sent to me from that and everybody I talked to, it seemed to me like a lot of what we were looking at was uh, like plasma discharge from the previous or, you know, post or pre uh, earthquake or tremors, whatever you want to call them. Uh, Did you guys happen to notice any significant upswing in uh, paranormal events during that time besides the perceived uh, perhaps, perhaps were only perceived UFOs that were floating around? Well, I wouldn't speak for every paranormal researcher in the state, but uh, I didn't see anything extra. You didn't see anything? Okay. Uh, no. I mean, there, you know, there's people like Wanda the Willis and stuff who are uh, folklorists, but they're also tied into everybody in the state who could tell you if there was an uptick or not just by all you have to do is uh, say, hey, you remember back a couple months? Was there a lot of report? Yeah, I don't know. They'd be able okay. to tell you. Uh, as myself, I don't recall anything extra. I remember the earthquake. It woke me up. Uh, I remember hearing we were getting some earth lights afterwards, which is fairly common after earthquakes. It's not it's unheard of. Um, don't know. There's been speculation tying it into the to the activity, and then of course you have the Kokomo hum, which we mentioned before, right? Um, which has always been kind of an oddball uh, little little thing about Kokomo that's that's had people baffled for years. Um, but I I don't remember anything extra coming out of that. No. And why don't, can you explain for the audience what makes earth lights happen and, and what their kind of characteristics are so that people, you know, I get a lot of people write me or wrote me after, you know, saying what I did on ATS and a couple of things. I think I went on Erie and said the same thing when I was on with, uh, uh, was it Deb Cobble I was on with? Uh, hmm, I and so. I said that it, I said that it was, you know, likely to me, to be some sort of earth lights. And I got a lot of emails about, well, what does that mean? What are earth lights and how do they happen? And what does that have to do with an earthquake? So maybe you could educate us on that. Well, I don't claim to be an expert on that one, but, um, what I do know is, is that when you get, um, significant mo- movement of any fault, uh, it's entirely possible that you can get uh, disturbances in the electromagnetic field of the earth. Uh, and you get, you get discharges. You know, you, you can get discharged. The same way with, the, you know, the thunderstorm. A thunderstorm is an atmospheric disturbance, you know, with the Earth. And, uh, the you know, in, the, in those cases, the, the atmosphere is the cause of the, electri- of the electrical disturbance. In the case of an earthquake, the lithosphere, you know, the, the Earth's crust, is the cause of the electrical disturbance. You get friction of two big pieces of rock moving up against each other. It is entirely possible you can get electrical discharge, especially static electric discharges. And they just kind of pop off, and you get these nice little light phenomena. And that's those are the earth lights I'm familiar with. If there's others beyond that, I, I defer to your listeners. Are they usually amber-colored, or do they vary in I color? I always heard of multicolor. Okay. Never any specific color that's been uh, attributed to it. There's also uh, gas discharges in certain cases. If it, if it happens to be in an area where you have any kind of uh, natural gases stored in the earth and a fault system lets loose, it... You get kind of an earth belch, or worse, huh. uh, and you get a little gas release, and maybe it ignites. The same as I mean, swamp gases. Swamp gases have a tendency to ignite. That's our one of our famous UFO uh, sure. <laughs> UFO explanations. Huh. Um, right. But um, Indiana does have the the Trenton limestone fields, uh, which were as uh, they were described, they were the, some of the first commercially tapped fields in the United States uh, back in uh, late 19th century, and they were described as the Saudi Arabia of, of that period. I mean, uh, you know, at that time, uh, Ohio and, and northeast Indiana had more oil coming out of them than comes out of Saudi Arabia now. 
I mean, we were just pumping that sucker for everything it was worth. Right. And, and, you know, when you have big petroleum deposits, you usually have big natural gas deposits, and there's still natural gas down there. A lot of people still heat their homes off uh, 100-year-old wells, hmm. uh, you know, natural gas up. So you get in that that field kind of – the trend trends over most of Indiana, so you could get – I, I would say it's possible you get a natural gas discharge if, if you got a fault in the right place and it, it fractured the trend a little bit there. Although that formation is pretty well collapsed, so it's anything's possible. There's still a lot of gas trapped down there. Right. Jer? Yes. Well, what I was going to say before was, um, you know, talking about places like Stonehenge or in upstate New York, you've got, um, you know, Balanced Rock, uh, which is this huge rock, <laughs> as you would imagine, balanced on... Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like a tripod of smaller rocks and nobody knows. It looks like a tripod. Yeah, nobody knows how, you know, the, the, the old thinking on it was that it was sort of bowled over here from uh, the last uh, Ice Age, but uh, Phil Imbrogno has so made the case that, that can't be true that um, they've had to change their history of it, and it's indeed uh, changed on the plaque next to it. Um, so I'm saying it's not a glacial erratic anymore? Well, yeah, they're saying it might be or it might be this other thing because, I mean, it is so clearly. You look at it. I've seen it. You know, I've been up there, and you, you look at it, and it's so clearly placed on these smaller rocks that I don't know how they would have ever come to that conclusion. But, um, you know, his research has also shown that these pre-Celtic or what he's calling pre-Celtic um, sort of mausoleums or a uh, little, I don't know, uh, you mean like the Mystery places. Hill stuff and all that? America yeah. Stonehenge? They sort of jut out in, you know, all around there, all around that area, but in precise lines from this thing. Mm-hmm. And it's where the Hudson Valley UFO sightings took place, and people see, right. you know, druid-type aliens uh, around <laughs> there and all kinds of creepy stuff. It's um, funny they didn't look Jewish. <laughs> and I'm just wondering, <laughs> is, is, I mean, is there anything that you can think of that, that you know, why would there be a, a giant rock at the epicenter of this? And I remember when we were up there... You know, Phil had said, you know, some people will get a feeling off this rock. I didn't feel anything. My mother, of all people, who's the biggest skeptic I know, mm-hmm. uh, absolutely felt something or claimed to, you know. Um, mm-hmm. so, well, we always, why that we is. Always, I mean, why would that be? What What is it about a rock being placed in, ge- you know, geometrically uh, aligned with other built monuments that would, even if you say, like, there's some sort of earth energy, I mean, do you have any clue how that would work? How, what how kind of rock is it? Do we know? What's that? What kind of rock is it? Do we know? I don't know. <laughs> that would require research, and that's I didn't do first, any of that. Yeah, whenever somebody says, what's this rock doing? I'm like, what kind is it? Uh, yeah, I don't know then. Uh, of course, I don't claim to know much about. I mean, I know I can give you the historical bit on ley lines, and I can give you the historical bit on how electromagnetic energy is supposed to course all around the Earth. And Yeah, give us that. How people are supposed to have been able to harness it. But... Um, Besides that, as far as the scientific basis, that's a that's a field most scientists have scoffed at, um, and I, I think my my own feeling is the jury's out on it. I, I won't scoff at something like that until somebody can give me a little more concrete evidence that you know that's it's not that's all bullshit, you know. Right. But um, when they until they can give me that, I'm I'm still going to give it a little. At least I'm going to listen. You know, I'm going to listen to people who talk about it because. That kind of stuff fascinates me. Why would you balance a giant rock onto a bunch of little rocks and then orient what you know people used to call pioneer root cellars all over the place around it um, some way so they can catch rays of the sun on certain days and things of that nature? 
Uh, you know, is it, I don't necessarily think a lot of those cases when we're getting kind of into the, the ancient civilization stuff, which I'm fascinated by. But uh, I don't necessarily think that every one of those was just so that they would know when to plant the crops. A pretty good idea of that. When you ask a farmer now, when you plant the crops, he doesn't say, well, I wait until I, you know, I go to the local Stonehenge and I check to see where the, the sun is and then I know. He waits and he doesn't even necessarily check the calendar as much. He waits until the weather seems right. Mm-hmm. And then he then he deals with his crops. Um, so I don't necessarily buy that agriculture was the sole reason for, for all these sorts of things, all these sorts of alignments. And I got to wonder, did they know something we didn't about the way energy runs over the planet? I mean, we do have a, you know, this this big turbine dynamo in the middle of the planet that, you know, uh, you know, the the solid core and the uh, liquid surrounding it, for, you know, creating our nice magnetic field that uh, I, you know, your guess is mine. Well, here's what I what I find on the. Uh uh, what what Jeremy was bringing up with Phil that he had it said that uh, a precession proton magnet magnetometer was used to measure natural magnetic fields and induced artificial magnetic fields around these chambers. Mm-hmm. Measurements were in gammas, not Gauss. Uh, normal background magnetism is usually between fifty four thousand eight hundred gammas and fifty five hundred fifty five thousand gammas. And uh, someone there who's a, who is a geologist, Bruce Cornett, describes gamma fluctuation close to the double stone chamber, uh, 247K. It doesn't say exactly what they are, but it, 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 as far as the makeup of the rock itself, I'm not seeing anything so far on that. But I am seeing um, that there's a magnetic anomaly um, at balancing rock. Uh, apparently that is pretty severe that they've documented here. You know, it it says here on on just about every stone chamber that they've done a, uh, uh, apparently magnetometer readings on, they get anomaly that is essentially the, the, the lines of the uh, magnetic fields are sweeping around these things and then becoming centrally located over top of them, uh, or, uh, you know, exactly where they are. Um, so, I mean, I, it doesn't say what they are, but I would think that if you've got significant electromagnetic stuff going on that, you know, especially if you're talking about something that's like a mausoleum type thing, you're talking about it almost like what ghost hunters call fear cage, which yeah. is, you know, a high EMF frequencies that can make you sick to your stomach, uh, disorient, you know, yeah, right. exactly. Uh, rashes in severe cases, headaches, mm-hmm. uh, that sort of thing. So, Looking behind. I mean, who, yeah, yeah. And, um, you know, if uh, there's a, there's a lot of weird things in that area of Pine Bush, New York, that um, that also I, I've always been curious to ask a geologist about this because knowing that it is a weird area, uh, one of the things that they report up there is when you're standing on just say one particular mountain peak and you look at across at all of the, uh, the the beautiful mountains that are there, people see extremely bright flashes of light that seem to be coming out of mountains there um, that don't necessarily coincide with a house, a truck, a road. These are extremely wooded areas that all of a sudden just be seem to be emitting light of some sort. Uh, when I went up there years ago, I saw literally a huge golden orb that was hanging around the top of a mountain and uh, – we drove up to it, and we saw it the whole way up there. Uh, once we drove around the corkscrew of the mountain road, 
it was gone. We get back down to the bottom, it's there again. So we're seeing that same uh, thing that Ted Phillips talks about with Marley Woods, where he sees these orbs, these great balls of light that uh, seem to be visible from one vantage point only. Um, you know, is there something in a rock that could, that, or in the earth that could cause such an illusion uh, that might only be in a directional vantage point to be, to be visible? Is there anything like that? I couldn't say for sure. I mean, that's uh, just, to me, it's confounding. I mean, it's, it's almost like the, road, but, the water on the road uh, illusion, you know, in, in the heat. Right, that but that's, 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 that's actually something I did want to touch on a little bit. When you started talking about that, that got me thinking about something that we mentioned previously, and I'm glad you brought it back up again because I think it's worth it's worth discussing, and I'd really be interested. These are the kind of things I always like to find list, you know, find listeners who have different opinions and see what they have to say. There's places all over the world like that that have oddball magnetic field fluctuations, electromagnetic field fluctuations. And we see that in artificially generated fields. I mean, we, we see it with unshielded fields. We see it with fields that are affected by the weather. Uh, you know, when, when you get a you know ionization effect in the atmosphere. Right. And, I mean, you can get that. You know, a, a storm creates that by itself. It creates ionization channels. And that's where you get lightning, all, all kinds of fun stuff. But at the same time, there's people linking ionization of the air to EVPs. You know, the, you know, the air ionizes right before you get a, an EVP. So isn't that unusual? Uh, you know, you get these oddball, these oddball spots around the world where electromagnetic energy just kind of goes and does its own thing. And, you, you know, things look in perspective-wise look different. There's lots of high strangeness around them. Like you said, the Hudson Valley UFO. <laughs> DK's reminding me of somebody that uh, we had, uh, uh, you know, and he's, he's in... He's a real interesting soul himself, but you probably heard of Jeff Woolwine. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Jeff sees uh, flying, tarantula, butt-diving tarantulas, and uh, he sees all kinds of interesting stuff. But uh, he he always talks about the stuff he sees being around certain mountains. He sees lots of things coming in and out of mountains. Now, on the uh, slightly uh, less uh, super-caffeinated end of the scale, there's uh, people like Mac Tonys who talk about... Uh, Crypto-terrestrialism, mm-hmm. things coming out of the Earth, and right. so UFOs in the traditional sense of the word, an unidentified object coming out of the Earth and flying around and, and buzzing off, as opposed to things coming in from the atmosphere. Right. Uh, so again, in these certain areas, is there some kind of? I mean, you know, it, take like the quantum, the quantum many worlds theory. Huh? You know, where you where you're dealing with the well, you know, because quantum realities can, you know, things can be in the same place at once. Now we've managed to prove that. The spin of an electron can be one way or another, and it, it, it completely changes things based on which way it spins, different realities, different dimensions. Uh, are these spots the thin spots? You know, where I think didn't one of you say something about, uh, wouldn't one of you like it to a curtain rubbing against something? Or, or kind of, I can't remember if it was you guys or if it was somebody else who was saying that. Um, that whole two realities rubbing against each other at certain spots, right? creating magnetic anomalies. And are these just the spots where, and, and perhaps there's there's entities that have figured those things out a lot better than we have, and they're making use of them. And it's totally on the field with that. But that's part of the paranormal, isn't it? Sure. Um, sure. As, as far as science goes, I don't think science is there yet. I don't think we've quite figured out the the wherefores of the, and the whys of those spots. So that's the whole where you got to have an open mind. You can be skeptical. You can say there could be nothing to it at all. 
but you you know these anomalies do seem to at least cause something visual and that we can see so why not look into it see why it does that sure yeah let me ask you what the hell that noise is uh, me. not it sorry Jeff, are you having a fire <laughs> no, okay. no no I'm not I'm sorry um that's that's Jeff's actually a robot that's his he needs oil monitor. <laughs> <laughs> Peritopians know that already. Um, I see. So just for a sort of mundane, non-geological ghost question, EVPs, uh, are they recorded on just digital recorders, or can you record them on tape as well? I've heard both. I've heard analog and digital. Huh. Uh, do you believe them? Do you, do you think that they're, they represent the undead? I don't, You know, I honestly don't know... I, I don't know what they are. I haven't made that. I haven't made that leap yet, uh, and I don't think anybody else really has a legitimate answer. How could you? Because um, you get ones that seem to be playing on a loop, you know, same thing over and over again, and you seem to get ones that answer you. So, what's that mean? Hmm. Does that mean there's two different kinds? Uh, you know, and again, this uh, th- there is definitely a measurable phenomena. That much we've been able to figure out. Okay, if you're putting something, if you're putting the pizza rolls in the microwave, it's a minute fifty. I think I, the, the goddamn thing is off. How is it beeping? <laughs> this is ridiculous. Uh, Take the battery out, and if it still it, beeps, it, then run. <laughs> yeah, then I would. Uh, that's kind of like the Teddy Ruxpin. You take the batteries out, and it still talks to you. That's what you know. You got rid of the God, or the please. Furby. Um, God forbid you have a freaking Furby in the room. <laughs> And it starts, it sounds off on you. I mean, those I, things I are like little, de- I, you know, even if you're the biggest atheist in the world, you get around the Furbies, you're thinking demonic, uh, especially oh. when they start talking to one another. I've actually got you know, one of these. <laughs> <laughs> Ridiculous. <laughs> but uh, where the hell Sorry. were we? Um, EVPs. Oh, yeah. yeah. Well, uh, uh, let me throw this at you. I, I had read a little bit from a, a book on uh, dark matter last week. Uh, the basic gist of it was that um, neutrino. You got neutrinos that, um, of course, are smaller than atoms and basically comprise dark matter. They may. You, know, you or- got a you got a whole new school of, of thinkers out there who are pointing to dark matter as the ether of the 1800s. Well, this is the thing. If you've got this dark matter, if you've got neutrinos. Um, this is just me and my stupid, you know, non-scientist mind imagining things. And maybe you know more about this than I do and, and can clear this up or not. Um, or not. If, you, if you have neutrinos, if you have this dark matter that it's, you know, in the book says uh, may or may not uh, interact with, um, you know, us. <laughs> may or may not be uh, interact with, with telescopes, mm-hmm. for instance. Um, mm-hmm. That may or may not really sort of get, got stuck in my mind and then goes on to say, you know, so... If, if this is all true, then basically we're like, you know, a pocket of light in this larger, vast universe that moves through us uh, and all around us. And all Seeming that. without effect, yeah. Uh, well, could there be beings that are of this, uh, that are made of neutrinos? Could there be an intelligence that is of neutrinos? And, uh, because what is it about this UFO stuff and this ghost stuff? It's, it's all that may or may not uh, interact with us. You know, UFOs can sort of just disappear. Well, that's all of science. All of science is may or may not. Hell, we've even found fundamental. Well, we thought were fundamental laws that now we're having to look back at and go, yeah, not so much. 
We just won't publicize that too much. Well, is it too much of imagination or is it too much not knowing what the hell I'm talking about to say, well, gee, maybe it's possible that there are beings that are made of neutrinos as opposed to atoms and molecules and cells. A hypothesis, same as any other one. I mean, you just, it's just one that you happen to not be able to prove right now. I would say it's beyond the scope of our easy reckoning to determine what what could or could not be floating around in the ether, as it were. Uh, if there's beings living out in the, you know, that are at least in this plane of existence represented by, you know, the the energy that's inside dark matter, how are we going to detect that? How are we going to know? It's like fish realizing, hey, there's something other than water, you know, for the first time. Uh, there, there, there seems to be something not water. I, you know, we can't breathe it. We can't detect it. But, you know, because we're sitting here in water, running it through our gills, and that's how we live. But uh, there's something up there. We don't know what it is. Actually, we're pretty much at that stage. I don't know. I would think it would be more like fish discovering that, hey, there is water. Hey, <laughs> we, we are swimming in something, and that something is made up of other things. Man, we're pissing in this. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I, it just seems like, um, like you're right. We wouldn't be able to um, detect them. At, unless they wanted to be detected, and on the other hand, they would be able yeah. to interact with us at will. If you know, and it comes down to it: if a creature like, if an entity like that, if an entity that lives in anything, you know, that lives in any kind of alternate dimension setup, has figured out a way to utilize the geomagnetic anomalies uh, uh, to get to and from here on Earth or anywhere, then I mean, they're kind of a step ahead of us on that one. But it would seem, you know, it, it that's kind of that kind of fits a lot of things. That that whole ability to pierce the veil and move from one dimension to the other, sort of, sort of. And this is my favorite little phrase I mentioned before. I'm glad I get to say it again. The whole idea of a paranormal unified field theory, the idea that maybe there's some relation to ghosts and ETs and and all other fun sorts of stuff. Maybe they all have some basic connection. They're just we're just looking witnessing things that are piercing the veil, coming from somewhere else. Do you have anything we, that you we describe it based on what our individual perception of it is. Do you have any boundaries with that stuff? Is there anything that you would, would definitely say, like Bigfoot is not of that? Or... <laughs> well, you could, you could say Bigfoot's just a critter from a different dimension. Once you get into the idea of dimensional slippage, I think you could tie a lot of stuff into that. Mm-hmm. Now, is, is there legitimacy to that? I mean, does that, does that make me the grand kook? Oh, who knows? I mean, I could be the grand poobah kooks here that come up with that one, but... It's just a hypothesis. I'm throwing it out there. I don't consider it any more legitimate or illegitimate than any other ones that are out there. Hmm. You really? You don't consider it more legitimate? <laughs> well, the the Fago drinking Bigfoots, I, I I don't know on that one. <laughs> well, no, I just mean in terms of... Um... Although that was interesting. I'm still waiting to hear. Because Walter Cronkite, uh, Fizz, didn't bother to ask what flavor, which I think is the question that was on everybody's mind when I heard that one. Uh, you know, we heard we had uh, I'm your your listeners have no freaking idea where we're going. We had an uh, interview at a convention locally that uh, lady had said she had uh, invisible little Bigfoots in her house, and she offered them Fago, and they took it. And I said, "What flavor?" And he had not answered the question. <laughs> is it grape the best? I mean, come on, really? <laughs> grape is pretty much hard to beat. Yeah, it really is. And this uh, gets back to this gets to our our sort of favorite question to ask people. Uh, do you have as many crazies in the UFO world as we do in, in I mean, uh, in the ghost world as we do in the UFO world? Yeah, we're all a little crazy. Uh, this is, this is the old Norman baseline. We all go a little crazy sometimes. Um, 
I, I think there's people that I, I've certainly seen all kinds. I've my, I, I think you can say just about anything in a given paranormal field and somebody else is going to think you're crazy. You're a fucking loon, but, uh, <laughs> it's 6 billion people on the planet. Somebody's going to think you're nuts. And usually majority, um, because it's, you know, we don't exactly see, although paranormal topics are certainly becoming more and more accepted mainstream. They're still not. They're still the cuckoo for Cocoa Puss Factor. But yeah, there's certain people that just seem irrational or they seem just their, their way of presenting themselves is so off the deep end, so absolute. They're almost zealots. And wow. a zealotry, whether you're in religion or you're in uh, paranormal or you or just happen to be a fan of a, of some entertainment type or program or band or whatever zealotry is potentially dangerous and and uh, usually makes you look like a freaking loon even to people who might believe the same thing you do but here's what i'm wondering if, if this is the difference between ufos and and ghost research um those guys or or other field i should say crypto whatever cryptozoological stuff as well yeah those guys who uh faked the bigfoot Yes. Uh, in their freezer, they will not be <laughs> on. Bags. They will not be on the talk, talking circuit anytime soon. Whereas in, in ufology, you can fake UFOs and get caught, and uh, still be a, a guest speaker and an expert. Where? <laughs> oh, hey, well, at the X conference, I think. Is oh, really? Public. Well, I mean, there's there's even a conference run uh, this, have, by the Billy Meyer Dorothy? people. You know, it's like uh, yeah, they say that they have uh, Billy Meyer hanging around, and yeah. I still, I mean, he didn't he even show how he faked some of his shots. I, I could have swore I, I remember that, like seeing a television, a television special years and years ago where it showed him holding one on a string and photographing it. Yeah, you're not the first to say that. I I have not seen that either. Um, but I I've had a bunch of people write and ask me about that. It probably was related to when the, I think it was Wendell Stevens had a model made. And they took it out there and they photographed it to see how close they could get to doing one of his shots. And my my answer to that is if you don't know the technique of forced perspective, it's going to look like ass and there's no way to make it look good. Um, but when you know a little something about how cameras work and uh, how to I do that, then it, you can get some pretty good things out of it. But, I mean, I, I think I, – I, I would probably think that in the ghost research community you probably have – uh, the same sort of opportunistic people who really don't seem to be into this for anything but a TV show. And I think I brought up to you last time was the the, the SPI people, uh, the Spy Girls. Yeah, yeah. I mean, hey, I, I you know, like I, I like hot chicks as much as anybody else, but well, don't we I all? Mean, yeah. Come on, you know, these guys are like prepackaged for a TV show. I mean, and that, that well, seems I'll be, just I'll just say this: uh, we had a masquerade ball at the. Uh, on the Saturday night of the convention. Right. And it was just a fun thing, you know, dress up, whatever. Sure, and some, sure. some people dressed very interesting. Like the spy girl show dressed in the regular clothes and everybody's <laughs> kind of like, well, they figure this would be kind of a custom made event for them, you know, right, because yeah. it was dress up, whatever kind of character you want to. And I, you know, somebody made the comment, maybe their lingerie was for later. Uh, <laughs> no, I won't say who that was, uh, uh but, um, they, you know, when, when I, that they were asked, one of us, one of us asked, why, you know, why didn't you dress up? They were, they said, we can't, we're not allowed to. And I'm like, what the hell kind of, you're not allowed to, 
you know, so is this an entertainment thing you're doing or is it an actual investigation thing? Because we talked to them, yeah. and uh, although I admittedly forgot the name of one of them, uh, we we talked to two of them, and I mean they seem like nice enough girls. Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know, but it's just at the same time they got all I don't know, and the the other paranormal groups they were ostracizing them because they thought, well, you guys are just in this for the show, you know, and and uh, you know the guy who who uh, the guy. Uh, says as much as you know he's like well i was looking for people to model my merchandise why right. did you have merchandise right you know everybody can have merchandise sure this is kind of how you know you got to pay the bills i get you that fund things. yeah absolutely yeah yeah you got to fund your you got to fund your guilty hobby right. but i mean everybody does we all do it but do you know which are you in it more for shilling the merchandise or are you in it for actually figuring out what the hell's going on and i think when you produce a group like the spy girls Generally, everybody's going to think you're shilling. You know? Well, yeah, when you can hire them for your event. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I mean, I don't. Yeah, I know I, some I, girls out of Vegas you can hire, or out of Reno that you can hire uh, as well. That uh, and, and I'm sure we'd much rather have that than the Spy Girls. Uh, <laughs> but uh, uh, that guy more or less reminds me of the uh, the the what do you call it the uh, Ghost Adventures on Travel Channel. Oh, that he that, is such that, a douchebag. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, uh, I mean, I dare you room. to do something, and then they do something. He's like, ah! he's like, like a freaking pussy. Exactly. I mean, that kind of stuff seems like ready-made for TV type junk. And the production uh, assistants are throwing things at him. He's like, oh, it's a poltergeist. No, it's yeah. Jeff over there throwing shit at you. <laughs> uh, so I mean, so clearly there, there's the same type of thing there that that exists in in uh, ufology, which is you know people like Greer who are always after a dollar, um, and, and other people who are out to hawk anything that they can of a case long after it's been laid to bed and is right. is got three inches of dust on it. So, and yeah, uh, the the UFO field, the crypto field, everything's full of that. Every field's full of that. It's human nature. It's human nature to want to make a buck, whether you're in a capitalist society, a socialist society, communist society, it doesn't matter. You want to get a little piece of something good. And if you think you can dupe some people who you feel are gullible enough to believe what you have to say, then you're going to do it. And yeah. certainly, you know, in yeah. 60 years worth of ufology, it's happened a lot. Uh, it's in hundred plus a couple hundred years of, of significant ghost study. Look at the 1800s. Look at the Blavatskys of the business. How many of them were shilling and, and you know, scamming people of money? You know, it, it's not like this is a new phenomenon, mm-hmm. which is a shame. You know, it's funny, uh, just on another similar tangent, uh, I was at the the New York the New Book York Expo uh, with uh, Bill Burns on Friday. And, uh, you know, I was looking you know, around and trying to grab as many free UFO books as I could. And there's a new Stan Romanek book where, um, who I don't know if you're familiar with him, but he's basically... From what I can what tell, I, a giant just, fraud. And, and what's really funny is, like, his claim to fame, the thing that makes him, like, oh, we want to believe you, is that he's just country dumb. So he couldn't possibly be making this stuff up because he's not smart enough. But he's smart enough to write a book. Yeah, country means stupid. <laughs> yeah. Like, if, he's, like, if, I, take that, if I take that story at face value, why would I ever buy a book? Uh, written by someone who's that dumb. They just they country, country do doesn't mean stupid. Most of your meth millionaires live in rural areas. I'll just say that. <laughs> uh, always, never, never, and this maybe this is a coastal prejudice, but never disregard, disregard or discount somebody just because they talk a little slower than you do. Well, but that's well, but his that's, whole thing. That's that's the whole reason 
that he well, I think I'm sure he, yeah, I'm sure he probably does. I'm sure that he takes advantage of people like that. I'm sure he takes advantage of people who think they're urban sophisticates who are looking at this bumpkin and, you know, I think, oh, well, he's, he can't possibly be making this up. He's a, he's a good old country boy. He's a, he's just, they're simple folk. There are people of the land, the common clay, you know, you know, morons, you know. Uh, so I, yeah, I, I, I don't know much about him, but um, he's got a video like he's of an of, alien. <laughs> don't they all? <laughs> I can go on YouTube and show you thirty videos of aliens. Uh, did we miss anything with the rocks? I would be remiss if we uh, if we did. I don't think we did. the The only other issue I'm, I remember mentioning was. Uh, there was one other interesting part about about rocks and actually limestones were kind of the opposite of what people would would claim there. Now, one of the things I did in, in one job, one one of many that I had, remember I mentioned that the Trent limestone formation, the, you know, the natural gas formation, mm-hmm. and people still use those wells to heat their homes rather than pay you know two hundred bucks a month for the gas heat. Um, that's a pretty sweet deal when you think about it. Um, but occasionally these wells have to be, they get water on them because, you know, groundwater seeps in, you got to pump it out, not from underground rivers, but from aquifers. And, uh, when we pump them out, sometimes we want to map the formations to find out where the best producing formation is located. One trick you can use to do that is a gamma ray probe, most commonly. And these things load up on the back of a truck. You run a, it's a probe that looks like you're a little bit bigger than a, um, a radio mic, a good quality radio mic. And you drop it down on the end of an um, you know, electrical line, and it goes down in, and it measures background radiation of, of uh, the rock. And a certain kind of rock has more uh, gamma ray emittance than others. Limestone, typically clean limestones like the Trenton, which we talked about, uh, have next to no gamma ray emittance at all. They don't have any material in there that's decaying. No radioactive material is in that rock decaying, creating gamma ray emissions, or very, very little is. So your your meter basically drops off to nothing, and it's it's one of those things. It's like a seismograph; it graphs as it goes goes along. As the probe moves down, it, it graphs it on a separate sheet of paper. Then you get other formations, uh, typically formations like shales, uh, that have a lot of radioactive elements in them. Um, and this is background radiation. This is when you hear people talk about well, the background radiation. This is what they're talking about. Certain rocks emit. Radiation. Our bodies are well adapted to it. Uh, every animal's body is. You know, this is just what we, this is the environment we live in. But you go to these shale formations, and they just peg the meter. They're pumping out all kinds of gamma ray emissions because they've got little bits of uranium in them, radium, other other radioactive minerals, just kind of hanging out. They've eroded out of some formation upstream or upgradient if you're in glacier country. Uh, so. Just an, another little oddball thing to throw in the mix there. Whether that has anything to do with kind of paranormal, making it easier for paranormal to make use of a certain type of rock substance, I don't know. Hmm. Very good. Jeff? Uh, uh, I think that's it for me. That's all we got. That's all we got. Well, we have, we have conquered yet another hour, so. <laughs> all right. Thank you for that, sir. Yeah, thank you, No, No problem. I didn't think we, I didn't think we had it <laughs> <laughs> I was like, we talk about the paranormal rocks for an hour. Um, I racked my brain on that I, one. But we did I it. Think, I think it dispels a lot of myths that people, you know, hear about all the time on TV. Well, I'll tell you why it's haunted. There's a lot of limestone and quartz here. I mean, yeah. you know, there's really not much to that, really. No, uh, and I think well, that's the same thing with anything. It's don't don't ever accept any snake oil that's given to you. 
Right. You know, do do the research. I mean, we, we have the internet. It's one of the greatest research and one of the greatest charlatan producing uh, objects uh, in tandem that we have that we've ever had. So no reason anybody should be duped into a right. uh, catch-all explanation for anything. We don't have any. There, there's there's no such thing. There's and hardly for anything is there a catch-all explanation. Usually, there's a lot of factors for one, and maybe in some small way, maybe in one part of the country or countries. Yeah, it's it, it has something to do with it, but we haven't figured that out yet. And to just have somebody dismissively say it, you know, it cheapens that cheapens your investigation, no matter what you're looking into, no matter looking at UFOs or ghosts or what. Well, the next time you have the ghost hunters on your show, be sure to tell them. <laughs> I'll, I'll right. be sure. Yeah. <laughs> Rob Beck, ladies and gentlemen, Rob Beck. Uh, Guys, appreciate you having me on. Yep. Thank, Thank you, you, sir. Take care. Hi, my name's Greg Bishop, and you're listening to Paratopia, where I just got asked questions that I never get asked, and got to talk about things that I never get to talk about. Eerie Radio, the endeavor for esoteric research and investigation into the enigmatic. Eerie Radio is a weekly podcast that features interviews with the world's leading paranormal researchers. Download episodes of Eerie Radio from your favorite podcatcher or directly from the show website at www.eerieradio.com. Eerie Radio. Listen. Learn. Laugh. hope people have not, you know, I've been trying to sneak this as quietly as possible during the entire interview, but I'm drinking a Slurpee from 7-Eleven, and it's um, <sighs> it's called Terminator Apocalypse. And the reason I got it is that it, it's not a flavor. It's just called Terminator Apocalypse. And I thought, <laughs> wow, that's something new. Not even having a flavor anymore. Just here's a movie tie-in. Go drink oh. this movie tie-in. Uh, and it turns out it tastes an awful lot like Sunny Delight. So I was pleasantly surprised. I thought it would taste like metal and apocalypse. I, the sweet taste of death is yeah. the sweet taste of sunny deep. <laughs> we um, we had to redo this episode because of sound uh, difficulties, and we ended up having sound difficulties in this episode anyway. Are you serious? Well, yeah, he was cutting them out a little bit. Yeah, the Skype was a little weird. Yeah, uh, but nothing. Uh, nothing we couldn't fix in post. Right. Um. So, geology. Yeah, rocks. We done with that or what? Rocks, man. Well, I mean, I think uh, probably the best part that came out of the show is the whole thing about the limestone, the quartz, you know, the the connections to, you know, paranormal activity and that kind of thing. I think that sounds to me like a big misnomer in all of this. And uh, I'm glad that we got someone who obviously knows his stuff to kind of clarify those issues for us because like I said this is just about every paranormal show you watch well there's this is this this house is built on granite and there you are oh everybody gets it well what the hell does that mean and obviously it doesn't mean much yeah I think uh, that that all hit home for me uh, mm-hmm. like a cold fish slapping me upside the head mm, tasty yeah I must be writing again because I'm coming up with some brilliant analogies um or is that a metaphor? I don't know. I'm not a good writer. In any event, the thing that hit home for me was when he said, uh, well, how far underground 
is this stone to have any effect on right. anything? It's right. like, yeah, there's there's something I would never have even thought to ask. You know, oh, it's a, it's a high limestone content area. Yeah, but if that limestone is buried, uh, what does that mean? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it, it, I don't. I don't think even if it's uh, well, let's see, strapped to your skull. I don't know that it would have a big effect. Um, I mean, if that's if that's the case, then we need to start marketing those limestone helmets we came up with a while back. Um, <laughs> we haven't done that yet. No. Well, Cafe Press covered that. <laughs> Cafe Press, yeah. Uh, I think you know, if nothing else, you're looking at um, the the EMF fields from certain rocks and running water and that type of thing, maybe being some kind of factor in there judging that, you know, EMF frequencies can attribute all sorts of things to people who are sensitive to those. Like, like I was saying, like uh, even going so far as skin rashes and hallucinations and phantom smells and that sort of thing. And and I think that kind of all goes back to, uh, well, for me, when I think of that, I think of the uh, Dr. Persinger, and his uh, magnet helmet and all that kind of stuff, and the the way he can simulate different parts of the brain to uh, you know get that feeling of presence in the room or feeling of floating or out of body or whatever. And still, when I hear that stuff, even if it is electromagnetic field related, again, kind of ties in tandem with the psychedelic thing. Is is what people are seeing within a high EMF field something that you know, is is there but hitherto unrealized by normal consciousness. Are they actually activating parts of the brain to see these things, or is it just a byproduct of some kind of interference with the brain? Right. That's the big question for me. Yeah, and then I get to um, thinking about uh, a balanced rock and all of its um, alignments and all of that. And, and I, you know, going into one of those... Um, mausoleum or root cellar or cave type things, whatever it ends up being. Um, certainly not a natural cave. I mean, this is clearly made out of oh, oh, yeah, absolutely. stones. Um, you know, the two times I, I went up there, the very same one of all of them, and I went into a bunch of them, uh, just gave me an awful stuffy headache. Like it was just really, hmm. really bad. Um, and I find it odd that animals don't go in them, you know? Like, you'd think that they would be the hideouts of animals. Right, some yeah. Some of these are buried in the woods, you know? Some are just along the side of the road, hidden. Yeah. Um, and they don't. And I, I find that all interesting. But then I, I think, like, well, what if the giant boulder um, is magnetized? And like you said, right, you know, maybe there's some sort of... Well, there is, right? There's some sort of magnetic anomaly in that area. Um... So that it, it, so that really, like the only thing that's of interest there is this magnetism. You know, mm. there's nothing mm. about the composition of the rock itself, other than whatever magnetic, you know, uh, deposits are in it or properties are in it. Right. Um, it, I guess what I'm saying is, to me, that would kill away anything about just like pure limestone having an effect, or pure granite, or pure anything. It would have to be something else in it that is magnetic that might create a magnetic anomaly or create some sort of field or right. strengthened field. Um, but other than that, uh, not much to go on there. No, I mean the, well, we should say that the area where 
those structures are um, is weird beyond beyond those things. I mean, well, not, yeah, like you, like true. you said, we've got the Hudson Valley UFO thing that happened up there. We have uh, a lady who's since passed away named Ellen Crystal who wrote a book called Silent Invasion, um, which was a damn interesting read way back when I read it, but I've heard less than flattering things about her work and, you know, the verifiable, verifiable aspects of what she wrote. Um, and also I, I think I mentioned Bruce Cornett in the, um, in the show tonight when we were talking about that area and the magnetic anomalies that I think he was responsible for mapping. Um, I actually got into it with him years and years ago. Um, I think back when I was on AOL, when he was posting photographs and films of what were obviously, I mean, blatantly, obviously commercial jetliners that were on their way into uh, some airport around there or near there. And, and he was claiming that these were triangle shaped uh, alien craft of some sort, or maybe not alien, but, but at least highly exotic. And um, uh, he was on sightings some years ago talking about uh, aliens in the ground there and that sort of thing. So I don't think he's I, – I, I didn't find his argument to be particularly compelling to me. Uh, I pointed out to him uh, the fuselage, the, the, the delta-shaped wing, the cockpit windows. Who is this? <laughs> I mean, Dr. Bruce Coronet huh. is his name. And yeah, I, I don't really I, – I, I I was going to say, you know, Phil and Brogno is the go-to guy as far as Hudson Valley UFOs go, and he yeah. worked with Hynek, so for whatever that's right. worth, you know. Right. Well, I think uh, Bruce Cornett uh, then and Ellen so Chris- Paul Harris. <laughs> right. Well, yeah, right. That's true. Um, but I think, um, I don't know, I, I think uh, some of the people up there who have been writing and talking about this stuff publicly for a while, I, I don't know that I am so ready and willing to listen to what they have to say about it. Cause some of it is, is really out there to me. Um, but it is a weird place. I mean, very weird. There is a um, reservoir there that attracts, uh, I think we've talked about this in the show before. It attracts Satanists and witches, Wicca people, mm-hmm. uh, mystics, meditators, you know, all sorts of mm-hmm. types for some reason go to this one sort of hotspot location. Yeah. Um, so, it, you know, it's a weird place all around. It's, yeah. I believe, if if I'm remembering correctly, the satanic ritual abuse capital of America. <laughs> Great. <laughs> uh, yeah, so. I mean, it, it, it's definitely a weird place, and I do believe weird things happen there, but I think when so many weird things happen in one particular concentrated area like that, you can get a lot of people who are reading way too much into what they see that most of it has a pretty, you know, explainable answer. So, um, some people jump the gun, some people knuckle down and, 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 and become more critical of what they're looking at, but it's a weird place. And I'd like to, uh, I'd like, I, I, I wouldn't, I often said I wouldn't go back to that place, but I think nowadays I'd be interested in going up and staying in a nearby town or something. I don't think I'd want to stay right in Pine Bush, New York, but it, it it's definitely, Definitely an interesting place. Weird place, I'll tell you that. Hmm. Well, my friend uh, Melissa Reed has moved up there, or up around there, so... Oh, great. <laughs> there you go, we can stay with her. Yeah, we'll, we'll stay with her. Hear that, right, Melissa? We're on our way. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
What else we got? Um, hmm. I don't know. I uh, had spaghetti for dinner tonight. How was that? Delicious? Yeah. Um, <laughs> Good. Had really bad sinus headache all week. And, um, um, oh, well, here's one thing that um, I haven't even told you, so here it is. I think I kind of remember uh, what the blonde-haired girl was telling me Your in the mushroom trip. Yeah, it's not like I can quote it verbatim <laughs> or anything, but something kind of came to me the other morning when I woke up that, um, and I, I I don't know how exactly to explain it other than to say that the conversation, whatever she was saying, was that. I wasn't supposed to be there, that I wasn't ready. And I said, well, what do I do to be ready? Why, why, why am I the only one who's not ready to be in that state or in that place or wherever the fuck we were? Um, uh, and she said, oh, no, you don't understand. It's not just you. It's all of you, meaning everybody, I guess. Hmm. Um, and that there would be a, a point in time where this wouldn't have to be accessed by the method that was used. It would be available readily when you're ready and when you're um, uh, more evolved than you are now. You have to take these shortcuts and you're kind of, it's kind of like the way I took it, I think was more or less like, um, like, like watching a movie that's out of your intellectual range and trying to skip to the end before you even know what you're looking at. Right. That kind of feeling. Uh-huh. And that's really all I remember about it. Uh, I mean, that's, and I'm pretty confident that that's what the gist of the whole thing was. But it was happening, it seemed like the speed of that was just very fast. The, so it was hard to really understand everything that was that was being said. In fact, I know I missed a great deal of it because it was, it was a lot of talking going on. But that was the one thing that I picked out that I... I feel confident enough to say that, that that's what I remember about it. Hmm. Um, and it was, there was no, no timetable to that. And, and other than it won't be in my lifetime that, that this realization of what is around us and what exists in different places um, would be able to be perceived by us. If that makes any sense uh, that it has more to do with our, chemistry and current makeup than it did with anything else. I don't know. I don't know. That's, that's what I got from it or that's, that's how I verbalize it, I guess. Um, so anyway, that was curious. I thought, um, and, um, do you ask her anything or were you just listening? I, I, I honestly don't remember other than saying other than, other than having the feeling of kind of a little bit of like, put off by saying you're not ready to be here. And that's why all of this seems so weird and a little frightening to you, that kind of thing. And I'm like, well, why am I not ready? I did, I did this thing that I was so afraid of doing and I've done it now. And now I'm here and now you're saying I'm not ready and I'm here. And I, that kind of, I had that kind of attitude issue. Um, and, and she's no, you, you don't understand what I'm saying. None of you are none of you. Um, meaning, you know, I guess everyone, 
is not at a, at a place that, that the reason that the experience seems so bizarre and so uh, at times, I guess, frightening is because we're not, um, I don't know, we're not physically evolved enough or mentally evolved enough to be able to understand what this is. And therefore our perception of it is messed up anyway. Um, uh, and I, I keep going back to that, you know, like we're jumping ahead before we're supposed to jump ahead. Right. Um, oh, and the the one thing that did pop up was I said, well, how will we know when we're ready for that? And all she said was, they will lead you. <laughs> huh. And um, again, it's just it's just more incoherent babble that I just I well, just did feel you make an association I, at the time when she said that with anything. Um, yeah, um, aliens. Now. Um, the, 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 the The very, the, the, the the plants, (laughs) um, the, the compounds, the, you know, so in other words, it was kind of, again, it was that contradictory type of thing where you shouldn't be doing this. You shouldn't be here because you're not ready for this yet, but yet they'll lead you. The, the, the plants will lead you. The, the other things will lead humanity you know, to this greater awareness as time goes on, you know, and I got the feeling it wasn't like next year or 2012 or it was in on the order of, you know, many, many years that, uh, that this will. So, so who knows how the, the whole, uh, psychedelic thing is going to evolve from now to a hundred years from now. Um, you know, if we make it that far, uh, who knows how that's going to evolve? And yeah, who knows? Should, should you give it an of... over under on the species actually making it that far? I <laughs> uh, know. <laughs> no. Um, no. I, I mean, again, it's just I'm attaching a lot of what I think to this, but I mean, really, it was just uh, that, that's how it feels to me, and I feel obligated to kind of just out with it because that's you know how I do things. And, and it's just more or less, it's when I first remembered that kind of stuff, I thought, well, that's just ridiculous. How can it be ready? And who is they? And what, what does that mean? And, you know, and I just took it as more just, just to just disjointed stuff that I couldn't put my finger on what it is. But the more I think about it, I'm like, you know, is that possibly what was meant by that? And that, is that possibly the way that I'm supposed to think about this stuff? Mm-hmm. Um, I do remember. Um, I do remember at some point, and I don't know if it was during that. I don't know what you'd even call that. What that that closed eye period, or whether it was during another one that I said I won't be back. <laughs> um, and and I felt a you know kind of a like oh well good. <laughs> huh. I mean, it's just ridiculous, but that's that's really about it, and I. And to be honest with you, the headache that I've had this week, I haven't really devoted too much time to thought lately. <laughs> but that's what I—that's what I take away from that little snippet of that thing. And I'll think about it some more. But as I said, I got—I have no no desire to to you know experiment that way again. I, I think I got essentially what I came uh, into it for, mm-hmm. and that is, you know, is it similar to? the hyper reality feeling that feeling of disconnect and, but yet high attunement and that kind of, yes, it definitely has those characteristics about it. And I'm sure, 
that, you know, had five grams been ingested, I'm quite sure that there would have been all matter of weird shit that happened. But I'm not, I'm not really interested in going any further with that. I've got enough weird shit as it is. Um, so there's. I guess it's up to me to do the five grams. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, peer pressure and all that. You know what they said in those uh, high school drug movies. <laughs> um, so you know. That's that's as pretty much as far as I'm willing to go, and and I don't really see the point any further. And I think I'm pretty much put that in a post today on the message board or yesterday about um, you know what I got is what I came for. End of story. And in addition to that, you know, uh, um, somebody mentioned something about you know, well, if you're not up for a spiritual journey, um, you know, uh, number one, I, I feel little. I don't feel any compulsion to do that. Um, and, and and it goes back to something that I think you said when I spoke to you about way back when, when I first talked to you about like, should we try this and, and how fearful I was of it. And um, you said, well, why are you so afraid? How, how much different or how much worse can it be than anything that you've already seen or, or had in a normal state? Um, and that's, I'd say that's pretty true. I mean, in comparison to, a full-blown experience with this stuff, uh, meaning the UFO stuff. Um, yeah, psychedelics, for me, at that point, seemed kind of pale in comparison. <laughs> um, but I'm sure that at, at um, you know, at effective doses, I'm sure it is pretty transforming in certain ways. But I, I, got, enough, I got enough on my plate. So that's pretty much where I stand with it. I have nothing on my plate. I will be ingesting all five grams. <laughs> That's what will be on my plate. Mushroom. Well, well <laughs> you're insane. Mushroom pizza. Um, Don, you're insane. Can I eat it with a pizza? Do I just have to eat mushrooms? I think you just put it on pizza. And, awesome. You know. Yeah. It'll be all right. A long time ago. It's that thing when you puke, it's like all the cheese and stuff. Well, it's, that's why you puke, isn't it? Eat it twice. <laughs> I, don't know. I think that was one step too far but yes Un- uncharted waters here on Paratopia <laughs> vomit yeah vomit Subject to- that's what we've come down to yeah well you know translates well to radio by the way but uh, but no that Rob Beck good guy um, <laughs> yes the Rob father yes and uh, the father of Rob Wish him the best of luck and, and all the guys on Erie with the show. Going and, up uh, against our stellar show. Is that what you mean? Good luck, guys. Good luck. Well, I symbolically throw down the gauntlet. <laughs> um, no, of course not. Um, no, I, I think that was a good episode. Despite the fact that we had to do it twice, I think the second time was probably even better. Yeah, yeah, I agree, actually. I and I think, yeah, I think we got a little more in-depth to some things that he wanted to touch upon, which were again, important to the whole paranormal geological, uh, environmental issues that, um, like I said, apparently it's, it's, <laughs> it's, it's not very, um, uh, that whole contention of the environment that rocks around having some sort of effect is not real viable. So more community service here on Paratopia. That's right. That's right. Although we still, um, you know what, never mind. What? No, I was going to make a bad joke, and now I've, I've thought better. 
I've thought better. I think better of myself and this show, Jeff. Well, that's good. Bad because, jokes. Well, because, you know, there's no room for comedy in the UFO podcast. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> right. So there you have it, folks. <laughs> Yet another episode of hilarity and information. Not in that order. Right. Hey, Brandon Day. It's me, Dr. Stephen Greer. You know, I listened to you read Goodnight Moon on Paratopia a couple of nights, and I was just wondering if maybe you could read it again. This time to me. In the great green room, okay. there was a telephone, oh, and a red balloon, and a picture of the cow jumping over the moon and there were three little bears sitting on chairs and two little kittens and a pair of mittens and a little toy house and a young mouse and a comb and a brush and a bowl full of mush Hmm. and a quiet old lady who was whispering hush good night room good night moon you know Brandon hearing about that that small room with the mice and the, the bowl full of mush reminds me of my own childhood a lot of abuse. It was um, worse than mommy dearest. But you know what I'm gonna do? Since you were so kind to have uh, read that to me, I'm gonna give you a 15% off discount coupon on your next visit to the woods with me to shine flashlights at UFOs and stuff. Okay. So thanks again, Brandon. <laughs> <laughs>